Hi, I'm the late William S. Burroughs, and you're listening to the Flapper House Podcast. Joseph P. O'Brien, you can just call me Joe, and you are listening to the Flapper House Podcast. This is our third episode, coming at you on April 15th, 2016. This episode is brought to you by the forthcoming Broadway musical production of White Men Can't Jump, based on the 1991 film, and I'm very buzzed, very stoked, very amped to catch this production the the movie is one of my favorite movies ever it's endlessly rewatchable and quotable and uh in fact it was one of the favorite motion pictures of legendary director stanley kubrick i'm not sure of the source on where i read that it was somewhere on the internet and i'm pretty sure it's true anyway white man can't jump the broadway musical Goes into previews on April 28th at the Howard Rosenblatt Theater on 43rd Street in New York City. It's got 25 brand new songs written in the style of uh, early 90s R&B, New Jack Swing, and hip-hop. The songs are co-written by the Fooshnickens, as well as one of the Tonys from Tony, Tony, Tony. So once again, I'm very jazzed to catch this uh, upcoming production White Man Can't Jump, the Broadway musical previews start April 28th at the Howard Rosenblatt Theater. Opening night is May 25th. So later on in the show, we'll be joined by a very special guest. Uh, He's going to be recapping an historic week in the National Basketball Association with the sports report. The legendary William S. Burroughs will be joining us later. And quite frankly, I don't think anyone writing or talking about sports these days has anywhere near the insight that the late William S. Burroughs has on the subject. So we're very honored to have him joining us later. But our first guest is Bud Smith. Bud has been a friend of Flapper House for a while now. He's read at four of our six readings, and he contributed a poem called Reset Your Heart was in our fifth issue and he's also contributed uh, poems and short stories dozens if not hundreds of them to many other fine publications you can see uh, a list of all those publications on his website budsmithwrites.com and uh, in the time I've gotten to know Bud I've come to learn that he's not only an extremely cool dude but he's also a uh, writer whose work I'm genuinely in love with. His writing, especially his novels, Tollbooth and F-250, they operate on this kind of whimsical chaos where things are very much rooted in uh, 
kind of mundane reality that resembles ours, and yet they are populated by these characters that kind of ride their own crazy wavelengths and cause chaos in their wake. Uh, sometimes this chaos is playful and cheeky, and sometimes it's a little darker. And in his forthcoming book, I'm from Electric Peak, which is a novella coming out uh, later this month from Artistically Declined Press, but definitely takes his style into much darker, more violent territory. And I sat down with Bud a couple weeks ago to talk about I'm from Electric Peak, and here's what it sounded like. much like this story we've seen um, you know people have said it's like Badlands or yeah or like uh, Bonnie and Clyde where these you have these young lovers going on this cross-country crime spree is, is was that like a story you've always kind of wanted to write or did you come up with these characters and then kind of think they might fit into this kind of story or was it something entirely different no I, th- I, I was thinking about how um, a lot of stories are just archetypes and keep getting retold mm-hmm. and, uh, and I thought that uh, you know in the news all the time just these the gun violence that we keep seeing and uh, I wanted to write something about that a little bit but I didn't um, I, didn't, I didn't really know where I was gonna go with it so I decided to just kind of retell the the, the stark weather killing story uh, with a different spin I'm not really well versed in the f- the facts of how things go down, but I just I just thought it was so interesting that um, like my first encounter with that was Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska album, and then seeing the movie Badlands, and it's like a retelling of the same story. And then um, I looked by this vi- uh, video store, and there was um, True Romance, the Quentin Tarantino screenplay, and it's all the same story. It just keeps getting redone. And then there's even um, Quentin Tarantino wrote uh, Natural Born Killers. I haven't seen it, but um, it's the, it's the same thing, and it just keeps it's like a game of telephone that keeps ping ponging, and and it also keeps keeps rehappening in the news. Um, maybe not necessarily two teenagers going on the run, mm-hmm. kill your mom and dad, but it just seems like a constant refreshing of the same, almost like an old folk song that just keeps getting redone by a band. And uh, I was just interested in uh, in putting my own my own spin on that, and um, I didn't really like um, I didn't really take this project completely seriously. I almost thought of it more as like a fable, mm-hmm. as opposed to like a serious work. Um, there's a lot of um, inside jokes in it. The book is dedicated to Meatloaf. Yes, I was going to mention Meatloaf. A little yeah, bit. <laughs> and the book is is dedicated to Meatloaf. Because it's just so silly when when you think about like how art keeps getting recycled, and um, I remember um, listening to Bad Out of Hell a lot when I was writing this uh, book, 
and just thinking about how the music for Bad Out of Hell started out as a, um, it was originally for a, a play that was going to be Peter Pan, and it didn't it didn't happen. So <clears throat> the music was there, and when he teamed up with Meatloaf to do the actual album, they like recruited all kinds of different musicians from bands, kind of like aping aping the styles of Springsteen in particular. Uh, from Born to Run, like grab some of the people from that band and just kind of trying to recreate that for Bad Out of Hell. And that just kind of like, as I was listening to that album, I was just thinking more and more about the themes of the book. I just got more and more interested in the idea of a brand new novella written as an homage to pop culture kind of everything and also pop nightmare everything, mm -hmm. particularly like the new cycle. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I remember reading your other couple, uh, Tollbooth and F250, and there's definitely, I definitely got a Springsteen vibe from that, from those two, in the sense that obviously there's the New Jersey setting, but there's also, you know, it's the Born to Run thing of these young people trying to want to break out of, of their situation. And then this, it's, it, it's, so appropriate that you dedicated to meatloaf because I feel like meatloaf is like taking the Springsteen idea and blowing it up to this operatic life or death. Oh yeah, scale. And yeah, I, I, his 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 version of it was just so uh, so silly. Um, not that the Springsteen version of it isn't silly. The right. Springsteen version is is like so earnest and so like you know. If he takes his shirt off, he's probably got all the tattoos. He's got his arms tattooed with the lyrics of the album. Yeah. You know, that's how much Springsteen is like into it. Yeah. And Meatloaf just seemed so. He just seemed like he wasn't really taking it all as serious, and yeah. that just speaks to me a little more. From like a, especially the tone of this novella. Just things are happening, but you don't know why they're happening, and you can't you can't make some grand vision out of. Something that's just uh, it's like a kid hanging out of a window, you know, blowing bubbles or something. It's not totally something to write your dissertation at your MFA class. Right, right. There was and there was a passage in here that I wanted to go back to because you mentioned before about um, you know how it's this violent story that gets told over and over and um, this part where it says nothing ever changes time is like a pair of pants that goes out of style for a while or a haircut that nobody has for a spell and then one day you look around and everybody has a dead guy haircut again looking good looking timeless all the young guys with dead guy haircuts walking around with hard-ons for who knows what and dead guy pants Teal says so time is timeless I said that's my stuff that's my theory I'm sticking to it and that struck me because when I was, as I was reading this, I think there is a definite time for this. It's like '94. It takes place in like the '90s or something. Yeah, it's never, it's never really, it's never really completely touched on. Right, that's when the thing. Is. I, I think there's like, I, I would get basically what I'm saying is I would forget what time it took place. Yeah. And like sometimes it'd be like, is this the '50s uh -huh. or is this modern day? So that was that was something you were definitely yeah. intending on doing. Yeah, I, you know, it was kind of cool because I swapped books with um, a few people as I was writing this. Um, some people I know who I, they had no novels they were working on, and, and 
I'm, I'm from Electric Peak is actually, it's side A of, of uh, a record. There's a side B. Mm -hmm. So there's I'm from Electric Peak and then there's Teal Cartwheels. And that's a whole, that's a novel. It's her version of the events are a lot different than his. And it goes somewhere completely different. So I'm hoping in a few years, you know, uh, the books will come out together as a, uh, as a, as a full-length novel. Mm -hmm. But uh, here's what you have for now. But when um, the book was first started into um, kind of like, I don't want to say workshop, but I, I swapped with a few people. And they both gave me notes, both readers, they gave me notes on the book saying that um, they were very uh, troubled by the concept of time in the book and how in the beginning um, they had it set in their minds that this was maybe like the early 60s and then all of a sudden somebody whips out a cell phone. Or, uh, you know, these different things happen where there's a time there's a time stamp that gets put on it. Like all of a sudden Elvis is dead. So now you know it has to be after, uh, you know, 78 or whatever when Elvis passed away. So there's this time stamp on it. And I love that about, I love that about this book. And I, I, I actively like left that in there. Mm -hmm. uh, not so much as like um, a fuck with the reader kind of thing, but I don't really think time is important at all uh, in this book because in a way the story just keeps happening again and again. It really does. Yeah. And I like that you mentioned that you plan on doing a Teal book because obviously the, the narrator is kind of unreliable. And He's completely unreliable. He's so unreliable. There's sections of this book where you know, as people read it, I hope I hope they I hope they, they pick up on little things in there that are that are put in as 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 little little pokes. Um, you know, you're gonna come across things in the text where where you say, what is this? Is this is this a mistake? And if you really think about what it is, um, it, it might might reveal itself to you. Uh, there's there's sections of this book where the, where the narrator has uh, has blacked out, has censored himself. Because uh, yeah, he wrote things, and any and then he changed his mind, and he didn't want you, he didn't want you to see them. Um, so yeah, he's a ghost. He claims to be a ghost. Right. Uh, how silly is that? Yeah, I, I so I liked how he kind of glosses over certain, especially a lot of the violent things. He'll be like, you know, oh yeah, I I took this from this guy, and you don't need to know why I did that. And yeah, in a way, it almost makes it scarier just to have him kind of gloss over it and not. And leave it to your imagination, and not really go into what may or may not have happened. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I think a lot of times when I read a book, and it's just so focused on the violence, I just I kind of wonder, I wonder why people get so get so keyed into that in particular. Uh, like you know, reading uh, descriptions of of somebody getting all shot up or cut apart, and uh, I don't know. That's that's obviously that's not the kind of life I live. Uh, that's not the kind of life most people I know live. Most people I know they couldn't even they couldn't even butcher an animal that they're gonna eat for dinner. Uh, but they but they want to write extended scenes of, of vivid violence. Or uh, I, I'm not I'm not really drawn to that at all. But what I was drawn to in this book was the idea of a narrator who he's doing all this stuff because he wants to gain a little more time with a girl he knows he's gonna lose and they're on the run uh, so the, the violent the violent acts they're not they're not anywhere centered in on on the on the important parts of this story they're it's just like glossing over I'm not describing this guy brushing his teeth right. uh, I'm not describing the sex scenes of him and the girl I'm not describing you know 
just all the, all the all the little things you don't need to know about. He's focused in on one thing, and that's what you get. Yeah, I like that. You spend more time than you know talking about the crimes he may be committing, and more time is what he's thinking when he's looking up at the moon or he's looking at his his girlfriend while she's you know crying through her sunglasses or something. And it it even though this guy's clearly psychopathic, it uh, it I don't know kind of endears him a little bit as much as I guess you can be endeared to that yeah. kind of person. That's the other thing when you know when when you're a when you're when you're telling your own story, you're gonna leave you're gonna leave out all most of the bad parts about yourself. Yeah. Uh, I think sometimes when people complain about an unreliable narrator or an unlikable narrator, it's kind of kind of a strange thing to complain about because usually an unlikable narrator is just somebody who's being a little more truthful with you, right. who's giving you a little bit more of the depth of their character. And what you have here is you got a child. You got a child who's really screwed up, and he's making a lot of bad choices. And he's kind of he's kind of making everything a little bit bubblegum flavored when it really isn't. Right. And so, do you want to go into at all what Teal's side of the story might be about, or are you still figuring that out? No, it's done. Uh, the books, the book, these were these were written uh, two years ago. Um, yeah, her side of the story is um, about a quarter of her story is going over some of the events that happen in I'm from Electric Peak. Uh, and, and as she's going over those events, you know, you'll just see that. Well, you know, it's it's just a further echo chamber game of telephone with the details. They're not quite. They don't quite line up. And it kind of like casts a little bit of a doubt on, on the first novella, um, just exactly what, what's kind of happening with these two. But it paints it more of a complete picture of, of uh, what it actually means to be uh, in a relationship when you don't, you can't make a complete choice about your fate, your own fate. Um, so yeah, I would say I would say it's her story, and you get to, you get to meet you get to know her a little more. But by knowing her more, you definitely you get a different side of Cody uh, than than what than what you have in his. Like I said, he's uh, he's a really good liar. Yeah, I I definitely got the sense reading it that there was much more of a, a kidnapping situation than kind of young love. Not that yeah. not that Teal didn't. Have some kind of affection for him, but yeah. I get the feeling that but, a lot yeah, of it I mean, like in the beginning of the book, the book opens up with with this guy showing up and killing your mom and dad. What do you you know? What do you do when your boyfriend or girlfriend shows up at your house and kills your yeah. mom and dad? What's your <laughs> how do you handle that? Uh, so yeah, it's not whether it's like a, a kidnapping or whether it was voluntary. You gotta like just you know the. How you flinch from that, and what you do after you after you stop the initial bout of flinching, uh, that's what becomes your life, and you have to live it until you're dead. Yeah, that, that reminds me of this section here, where at one point uh, Cody says, "I'd only kill for love," like trying to justify everything he's doing, and then over the span of a paragraph, they they travel some more, and she's not really talking to him, and at the end, she she confesses, "I guess I'd kill for love too." 
and I and I there things like that that really make me want to hear her side of the story. Yeah. Like, what was the context of that? Where did that come from? Was she just trying to yeah. placate him? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're gonna get into like looking looking at what happens at the end of the book, I won't give it away, but anytime you have a uh, killing spree, a story about a killing spree, you know how it ends. Mm -hmm. There's no happy endings in anything like that. But the whole book, the whole book is a little bit about, or a lot about, not only the love between these two, but the love of the family, the Cardicelli's, uh, Teal's family. And, um, you know, you have this murder that happens in the beginning of the book, and then you have this kind of looming, the looming threat of her brother that's coming. He's coming all the way from across the sea from a naval ship, and, and he's going to seek revenge. Now, what happens with that? You can guess what's going to happen with that. Someone, someone is going to win, and someone is going to lose. But the biggest thing with the book also was just, Kind of the, the what happens with retaliation, what happens with revenge, and it's funny that you bring up the like I would kill for love because you can really look at that a lot of different ways. Like you can look at it like you would kill for the love of your family, or you would kill for the love of your significant other, but it's the same thing, it really is. It's like just the love, the love that you really can't you really can't figure out what you're gonna do until you have circumstances happen to you. Although with Cody, it almost feels like he's saying he would kill for love, but I feel like part of him just wants to kill, and he's, yeah. he's using Teal as an excuse. Like, yeah. all right, I love you, so this is why. I'm yeah, this is this, this is why I'm, this is why I'm doing all this crazy shit. Uh, it's funny you bring up um, Tollbooth before, because I like writing about these chaotic characters that you don't really have. You don't have your uh, can't put your thumb all the way on like why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, almost like a Loki kind of character. Mm -hmm. And I think Cody is definitely, he could be related to uh, Kid with Clown Head from Tollbooth. Yeah. Just this loose, this loose cannon, almost grounded in reality, but at the same time, you know, you're kind of reading, you're reading this, you're reading this depiction that's, it's like a fuzzy, hazy, strange dream. And my my hope when I, when I write books like this is is for it to be just grounded enough in reality where things are plausible but not concrete make sense completely just kind of I'll just step away from realism a little bit here and there Once again, that was our friend Bud Smith. You can find him online on his website, budsmithwrites.com, and on Twitter at Bud underscore Smith. I'm from Electric Peak. comes out later this month from Artistically Declined Press. And now, our next guest, who we're very honored to have, recapping a very historic week in sports, particularly in the NBA, the late... William S. Burroughs. We live in a universe of perpetual war. 
War infects every aspect of our universe, where, like viruses, we are constantly trying to vanquish our adversaries. This is done through physical violence, but also psychological and spiritual violence. Our most popular entertainments and pastimes are rooted in war. Sports are essentially hostile, and victory is the ultimate junk. Stop the tape at random, cut out a phrase and splice it into a nuke. This week, the Golden State Warriors achieved a historic kick when they won their 73rd game of the season, setting a record for victories. Recordings made with no apparent input have turned unexplained voices on the tape. Freight boat smell of rectal mucus. In a single season, by a National Basketball Association team. And now, like all junkies, they will continue to chase the kick of victory into the pl Dr. Benway presses his scalpel to the kid's erection playoffs as they compete for their second straight NBA title. In 1959, Brian Geisen said, Try to achieve Ten seconds of inner silence. You'll encounter a resisting organism that forces you to talk. First round matchups of the NBA playoffs include the Cleveland Cavaliers against the Detroit. And with one quick stroke, the Indiana Pacers will square off against a swarm of angry baby tarantulas. The Toronto Raptors. The Golden State Warriors. Soapy bubbles of egg flesh. We'll face the Houston Rockets. Red throbbing pustules everywhere. The Atlanta Hawks will host the Boston Celtics. And but on replay, vague voices of unknown origin. In his final game, the legendary asshole scored 60 points leading the Lakers to victory over the Utah Jazz. That organism is the word. Thanks to the late William S. Burroughs for that very insightful sports report. Thanks again to Bud for chatting with us. Once again, on the web, you can find Bud on his website, BudSmithWrites.com, and on Twitter at Bud underscore Smith. And his book, I'm From Electric Peak, comes out later this month from Artistically Declined Press. The music in this episode was done by The Cracked Shadows. The opening theme is called Black Arrow. The song you heard introducing Bud was called Electric Tempest. The song between Bud and the late William S. Burroughs was called Marfa Lights. And the song you're listening to now is called Mastic Beach. You can find the Cracked Shadows on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash cracked shadows. We're also on soundcloud.com slash flapperhouse. Now, of course, our website is flapperhouse.com. If you want to make a donation, they would be very appreciated. Go to flapperhouse.com slash donate help keep podcast going and the magazine going on twitter we're at flapper house instagram at flapper house 
and on Facebook, Flapper House Mag. As always, you can subscribe, rate, review the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. And we hope we'll be in your ears again sometime in the next few weeks. We're still working out a regular schedule, but until we figure that out, we're going to ride off into the sunset. You keep flapping.